0: And I invite you to listen carefully and listen well as we begin a new study this morning, a new series on the book of Exodus. And we'll be turning to Exodus chapter 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made them, the, uh, the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the fields." In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be to God. So I think what this opening chapter does for us is it connects the end of Genesis with the beginning of Exodus. Genesis closes with um, Joseph having been taken by his brothers, sold into slavery, um, Experiencing exile, perhaps, in Egypt, but then also climbing the ranks until Joseph became the second most powerful person in the entire nation. How? He could interpret the dreams that God gave to Pharaoh. Dreams that indicated there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh was so relieved that one could help him understand these dreams that he had been having that he placed Joseph in... Uh, a position as overseer of the whole project. And so for seven years, it was a time of plenty, and they stored up all these grains in their storehouses, even building some of these store cities, right? And then, um, once the time of famine came, they were able to survive, not only the people of Egypt, but also all the surrounding countryside, such that Joseph's own family came down to Egypt because there was food there. Over time, the family grew and multiplied and passed from one generation to the next, just as a new pharaoh came who did not know Joseph and began to oppress the people. So this first passage is a connecting point between the, the narrative story that we've been reading, coming through Genesis, opening up into this new um, time of Exodus. And so, before we j- jump in... Um, Let us go to the Lord in prayer. We thank you, O God, for the journey of life which you give to us. And we thank you for all those uh, points of connection where you help us to turn the page from one time to the next, uh, from one experience to another. We're thankful that you are always there with us, eager to set us free, eager to uh, lead us into a land of promise, eager for us to be your people and for you to be our God. We pray that you would do that now, even as we open up the pages of your scripture and consider um, this Exodus journey worked upon and the fulfillment of that journey crossing the Jordan. Bless us, we pray. Lead us, guide us, and direct us and open us to the new things you want to do with us as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, So you get the connecting point, Um, in addition to, I guess, uh, a bit of water. I've also got something new this morning. You may be like 0% interested in this, but for five five years, I'm going to tell you anyway, for five years, I wrote my sermons. And then COVID struck, and I started sending stuff to you by way of a laptop and a video camera and... I actually recorded the first one. I typed it and read it and then watched it and was like, I could not subject anyone to that. So I I ditched the typed out version. I ditched the written out story, uh, manuscript. And so, I mean, it's been good for me, but I've also sensed a little bit of um, somehow finding a balance there. So given that I preached yesterday and three times today, I wrote out both sermons. So we'll see how this goes. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's fun to kind of learn and try to try some new things and see how God will use them. Um, but what I want us to see this morning, as we jump into Exodus, <clears throat> is this pattern of exile and return. And I'll show you that pattern in its broadest form. Because this pattern of exile and return is a prominent one in the scriptures. In its broadest form, we begin with Adam and Eve. You know what exile means, right? A displacement of being taken away from the place where you're meant to be. You can think of this geographically as the people of Israel experience it, spiritually as we all do experience it. Exile and return, it can be imposed upon us by outside forces. It can also be self-imposed by the decisions and choices that we make in life. But exile and return, in this broadest sense, begin with Adam and Eve, who, as representatives of all humanity, experience exile from paradise. The very beginning, right? And the whole rest of the biblical story, until we reach the end, tells about how God returns them, and then all the rest of humanity, to the paradise from whence we have been cast. But now, in an even greater way than we originally experienced it. So exile and return. We see it in Adam and Eve and in all humanity as we fall from paradise and are returned to to the position of God's glory. And the hero and facilitator of that journey, of course, is Christ. So that's on the broadest scale. But then as we see that story of biblical and covenant redemption beginning to play out, we see God calling Abraham to go. From the land of his kindred to the land that God would show him, which he does. And his descendants find a home there in that land. And they begin to multiply, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons. But then they experience another exile of sorts as they leave Israel for where? For for Egypt, that's what we're talking about. Escaping famine. 400 years pass. As long as we've been a country, that's a while, isn't it? 400 years pass before they return along an exodus route to that God-given land flowing with milk and honey. Exile and return. The exile and return of Abraham and his descendants to Egypt and back to Israel mirrors that overarching pattern of exile of Adam and Eve and humanity and return to God. So it happens on that larger scale. It happens for Abraham and the people of God. it also happens for individuals or persons within that family. On an individual basis, look at David, for example. King David, who as archetypal king, sort of preeminent king, ultimate sort of kingly figure for the nation. He knows exile in his own life. As he's driven, you remember this, from the courts of Saul. You know, Saul, we did this and I kept doing this over and over. And you kept thinking about Sunday night football. But actually I was pretending to throw a spear at the wall. Like Saul, who throws a spear and it sticks in the wall and David... Dodges it and escapes. Flees into the wilderness of exile and spends time there until he returns to the courts in glory and in triumph. For now, he's not only anointed king, he's also king enthroned over Israel. Exile and return. The exile of David is mirrored in the story of his larger family, Abraham and the descendants to Egypt and back, which is mirrored in the larger story of all humanity, exile and return. Um, yet again, as God's whole people, God's family experiences exile at the hands of the Babylonians and then the Persians, and then in their own way and to the Romans. But God continues to bring them back, exile and return. I think it's important to note, you know, you're beginning to get that, and see how that layers? in. Yeah, it's really incredible to see that. But it's also important to note that what happens on the scale of nations also happens on the level of persons. Uh, We can experience exile in relationships too. Harsh word, silly argument can lead to the dissolution of connection. A separation ensues. A, A best friend at school isn't talking to us anymore and we're not talking to them either. An exile, a displacement. But then, hopefully through forgiveness, And repentance and reconciliation, there is a return, a return to friendship, a return to mutual connection, a return to love. Y'all experienced that before? Yeah, it's easy. You might have this morning. I don't know. (laughs) And also what happens to us interpersonally in our relationships happens to us as persons within our own hearts. It should be easy to recognize this pattern too. When you sin, you experience an exile of sorts. A flight from your true home with God to a far country outside the bounds of your rightful territory. Um, we, some of the meaning of, of that is captured when we speak of sin as a trespass. We've gone outside the bounds, outside our bounds. <clears throat> We've left our rightful place in, and intruded into the bounds of another. Um, But also, by God's grace, and like the prodigal son who ventured into a far country of exile and wallowed in the pigsty, we can also know what it's like to experience repentance uh, and, and return, which culminates in love and a feast at the high table of the Father who flings his arms open wide and draws us home. Exile and return. What we experience as persons, we experience interpersonally. And what we experience interpersonally, we already see in the Scriptures, in David, in Abraham and his descendants as they go to Egypt and come back back home. As we experience in the whole narrative of Scripture, it's the same sort of pattern happening again and again. And I want you to see that pattern because we're embarking this morning on a new journey of sorts. Um, We're beginning this series that will lead us through the book of Exodus. And here's what I hope you'll be doing while we do that. I hope you'll be reading Exodus. <clears throat> I'm so creative, aren't I? You know, <laughs> I hope you'll be reading this book, this story, and all the grand themes and inc- incredible stories included therein. Um, and honestly, if you, if you get into it just a little bit, if you read like 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to read it through multiple times, I think. Um, if you get started with it, I, it's not going to be like I'm twisting your arm to continue. Because Exodus is an adventure story. Um, An an essay in the ESV Bible reminds us that Exodus features a cruel villain in Pharaoh. He's oppressing the people. He's enslaving them. He's doubling and tripling their work. But he's also dictating that all the male children will be put to death upon birth. There's a cruel villain, an might we even say one who is carrying out evil um, in his uh, position in the story? There's also an unlikely hero. You know, Moses is one of those kids who is born under the sentence of death. He's supposed to be put to death, but he somehow survives long enough to be put in a basket and sent off down the river, or up the river, as it were. Right? The Nile River and the New River, the two that flow north. You know, so we got. We well, got something in common with uh, with Egypt over here in the mountains. So flowing north, right? He's flowing. He's flowing up up the river, and somehow is drawn in, drawn out. That's what Moses means, drawn out. So we see this unlikely hero who then eventually delivers his entire nation. Uh, we see overwhelming disasters in the ten plagues which are sent upon the land. We see a spectacular deliverance as the people. Um, are led out of slavery by God and the waters of the sea are flung wide such that they might pass through them on dry ground from slavery into freedom, from bondage into a future and a promise. There is in this story a mountaintop experience uh, where Moses receives the Ten Commandments, right? They go up the mountain and receive the Ten Commandments. Actually, the people stay at the bottom and Moses alone goes up where atop the mountain he encounters God in all of his power and mystery and the divine darkness as the thunder rolls and as the lightning strikes. And then we see this climactic finish when the God whom he meets in mystery atop the mountain comes down and floods the smaller mountain that is the tabernacle with his glory. The story features unexpected setbacks, unpredictable delays, magic tricks from Pharaoh's sorcerers and miracles, feasts and festivals, music and dancing, and close encounters with the living God. I'm trying to make this dramatic. (laughs) Right? Because it is dramatic. It's a dramatic story. And in all of it, God is trying to show us this, I think, in part. That God will remain faithful to His covenant promises. So we trust that. We believe that. I want to make that personal for you. God will remain faithful to you. That's part of what Exodus speaks to us. God will remain faithful to you. God will rescue you. And God will rescue us. And God will remain faithful to us. And Exodus conveys this to us so well, because it is the archetypal deliverance story in the Old Testament. If you want to see how God rescues someone, turn to Exodus. This is how it happens. This is what it looks like. These are the elements involved and the stages that one might experience along that road. And in every way, this archetypal Old Testament account points in all of those dramatic pieces we just walked through to the new story of God's deliverance that we find in the new covenant, which we find in Jesus, which is the story of Christ's greater exodus deliverance because it doesn't only pertain to Israel, it pertains to the whole world. So, as we really begin to enter into what's happening in this book, I think that some particular things will happen to you. And I mean that really, truly. I think that things will begin to happen to you as we go through this, as we give ourselves to, these, uh, to the scriptural account. <clears throat> so here's a few of them. Um, as we begin to experience exile with the Hebrews in Egypt, we will also, I think, you will also begin to long for the kind of return to promise that God wants to bring to you. So as we experience exile, the exile of the Hebrews, as we encounter that in the text, I think that you will also begin to long for that to happen in your life as well. The the, the Exodus account says that the people cried out to God in the midst of their slavery. And it says that God heard their cries and answered them. We might be able to relate in some way to something like exile given the last year. Although we still have it made pretty well compared to them, right? But as we begin to look closer, I think you'll begin to see a desire begin to spring up in your heart. I think that will happen to you. Second, I think as we see Moses struggle with the enslaving Pharaoh, we will also learn to see more readily the kind of struggle that we're going to need to adopt to break the devil-wrought chains that bind us. A couple things there, right? So as we see Moses struggle with Pharaoh, who's the one who oppressed them, I think we'll also see, wow, if we want to be set free, there is a struggle involved. I have to give myself to this. I can't just come on Sunday and sit down for an hour and go. I have to struggle. Your life is an invitation to struggle. Your Christian life is an invitation to go to war with those who oppress you but to go to war in such a way that allows God to fight for you. You're not actually, it's this paradox in which, yes, you struggle, but it's God who fights. And it's not other people. It's other things, powers and principalities. It's an invitation to a struggle. I think you'll begin, as you see Moses' struggle, to realize, wow, I've actually been kicking my feet up in the shade, sipping lemonade for a little too long. I need to enter into this struggle. There's something more there for me in my life. As we encounter the plagues, right, which are really a series of confrontations between the living God and the false god of Egypt. right? Uh, Pharaoh was supposed to be an incarnation of the god Ra, the sun god. Right? So, the, so actually when we see the plagues, it's divine warfare, cosmic warfare playing out. As we encounter those plagues, I think that we will begin to come to expect God to act mightily in our own lives. I was thinking, like, when's the last time I expected God to act mightily in my life? Like, I might, if you ask me that, I might say, well, yeah, I expect that. But do I really? Like, do I look for it? it? Did I look for it last week? Did you? I don't think I did, honestly. But I think we might grow to expect that. But when we expect God to act mightily, there's something that will happen if this pattern that plays out between God and Pharaoh tells us anything. Um God comes and confronts the false God of Pharaoh. That's what he did with the Hebrews and in Egypt. But for us, we don't live there necessarily. For us, what who are the gods that he will come and confront? The gods before whom uh, either we willingly bow or before whom um, or by whom we have been enslaved ourselves in our present moment and day and culture. And so I think part of what God will confront when he comes to act mightily in us, he will confront the ways that culture have taken hold of our hearts, the ways that politics have done that, the ways that uh, money or power, or you could continue down the line, the false gods that have bound us. Those are the things that God will confront in our lives. But you know, something else, as, as we see God confront those things and begin to set God's people free, you remember how that happened? God said, you better get ready. You're about to be set free. Sit down at the table. Grab a quick meal. cinch your belt around your waist. Sit with your bags packed and your staff in hand. Be ready to go when I say go. As we see that happen, the people being led out and traveling together, I think we'll also begin to look at each other differently. Recognizing in each other, God ordained traveling companions. Like He hasn't brought us here together by accident. Because the folks that we see around us in this room and who will greet us after worship are the folks who will also catch us when we stumble and carry our burdens when they grow a bit too heavy and who will also need our help as we travel this difficult and transformative road home. I'm, I need you guys and maybe at some point you will need me. And then seeing God's people reach the mountain of God and experiencing the glory and the wonder and the mystery and the majesty of the God before whom Moses hides his face and whose encounter with that God causes him, when he comes back down, to veil his face because it is shining too brightly. When we see that God meeting with Moses atop the mountain. I think it will cause us to reconsider our false assumptions of the God that we have made like golden calves in our own image. You remember that story? Just briefly. But like Moses is up on top of the mountain and God's giving him the ten what? Right. And what's all the rest of the people doing? Like they're supposed to have stayed behind in prayer and fasting, but Moses stood up there too long and then they decided they'd melt down a little bit of gold and just make a God. The irony of it. I mean, how patient is God with us? So notice what's happening. Moses is up there in mystery hiding his face before the God um, that he cannot control, who is so obviously far beyond him. All he can do is bow and worship. While the rest of the people are trying to make a God in their own image. And here's the thing, every single one of us do this we all attempt to make God in our own image, a God that we can find palatable, and a God who certainly finds us at least palatable, (laughs) a God before whom we can bow and worship at the appropriate times and days, right? But not necessarily um, the God of glory who is everywhere and fills all things and sees us everywhere as we are. We've all done that. But, but I think what might happen as we go with Moses up the mountain and encounter the living God, I think this dramatic inversion will take place. I think you will become more willing to receive the commandments which God gives to us because these are the means by which God makes us in His image instead of us trying to fashion God in our own. And we'll discover that the commandments are actually the way of life, the way of blessing, the way of joy, the way of the fulfillment of all things. To becoming who you were made to be. I think you'll begin to experience that. Exile and return. The book of Exodus is a freedom journey. It is an epic in every sense of that word. It opens with a nation in crisis and with the people enslaved, and with its would-be deliverer under the threat of death by drowning. And it proceeds to unfold for us and to describe for us a cosmic confrontation between good and evil, with an imperfect hero acting as primary instrument of God's deliverance. Um, If you think any of that sounds vaguely interesting, or maybe even exciting, or dramatic, or powerful... Or important. I hope that during these next few weeks you will discover this. I hope that you will discover that everything that is happening in the book of Exodus is also happening in you. All of it, every invitation, Every encounter, every confrontation, every battle between good and evil, every bitter cry and hopeful evocation, every sin and every virtue is happening in you. But more importantly, just as God sent Israel a deliverer in Moses, God has also sent you Christ, the Messiah, the one who travels to our far country of exile in order to lead us home in triumphant return. So really it's an invitation this morning to come along if you will and bring somebody else if you want. Let's journey with Moses and journey with Jesus. Let's fight with Pharaoh and let's fight with the devil. Let's be set free by the blood of the lamb as it's placed upon the doorframe at Passover and let's Um, be set free by the blood of the Lamb as it's placed upon the cross at the greater Pascha, which is another word for Passover. Let's climb the mountain with Moses, the mountain of God, and meet Jesus there, transfigured. Let's destroy the golden idols that you have built up in your life instead of following God's commands. Let's learn to follow the pillar of fire and feast upon the manna From heaven, which is the flesh of our Lord Jesus. Let's meet God in the temple. Let's become God's people. Let's discover Exodus. Let's discover salvation. It's all happening in this book. And it's all happening in you. So let's be God's people together. And follow where he leads. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.